Welcome to Tone Deaf, a theater nerd's guide for their musically challenged spouse. I'm Kay, a musical theater nerd. And I'm Warren. I'm musically challenged and currently have my hand being held by a massive dog paw. So if I sound distant, that's yes. why. Yes, and Latte will not let Warren go. So I'm, I'm going uh, without my screaming pillow today. Which and, is unfortunate. And Kay warned me to get my screaming pillow, so I will be screaming into the crook of my arm. Yep. Uh, Warren sometimes has to make do with what he has. So, this is going to be the first show in this series where the playwright is still alive at the time of recording this episode. Knock on wood. Which is a bit of a sign for our listeners to remember that the things we've been talking about in this series were not that long ago. This week... We are covering A Soldier's Play by Charles Fuller. So Charles Fuller was born March 5th, 1939, and at the time of this episode is 81 years old. Some of our listeners may have grandparents that age who are still around. Meaning, this was not that long ago. In 1939, we have uh, some of our most famous Technicolor movies coming out, like Gone with the Wind and Wizard of Oz. We have nylon fabric introduced at the World's Fair. Nuclear fission is first discovered. HP Hewlett-Packard is founded. Instant coffee is invented the same month that Charles Fuller is born. World War II starts, which is pertinent to this play. Again, not that long ago. Sorry, I've been feeling the why are you so hung up about all this? It was so long ago stuff lately, and this is the perfect play to take this out on. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> you've, you've witnessed me getting into some arguments before with folks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, Charles Fuller was born in Philadelphia, uh, went to high school, college, and then in 1959, he serves in Japan and South Korea. And I mention this because this is a play about black soldiers in World War II, and his experiences will certainly shape this play. Um, for those who don't know, the armed forces wasn't desegregated until 1948, July yeah. 26th. Yeah. And done by Harry Truman. So World War I, World War II, both segregated troops. Um, and the other thing is, black Americans have been fighting in America's wars since the revolution. Mm-hmm. Without being fully represented, compensated, or treated as human by the government that was sending them to die. No, they would have carrots dangled in front of them sometimes, even saying, hey, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll make you a person mm-hmm. if you, if you go fight war. Mm-hmm. And then they come back and they go, well, never mind. No, who's going to work this field? Mm-hmm. And I don't want to get into my anger at war, my anger at the mistreatment of veterans in the current era or things like that, because that's not what this episode is about. But please keep in mind that while some of your grandparents were kids, the armed forces was barely getting integrated, meaning not that long ago. So the way that black soldiers were treated at the end of World War One didn't help black people going into the military when it came to World War II either. Uh, One Mike Black History Podcast has really good episodes about this period of time, but, like, lynchings got bad after World War I, and that's also where you have the Red Summer of 1919. You have 
the Tulsa bombing. You have just all of this horrible stuff. And the KKK gets a resurgence with government officials going full hood off. Uh, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's despicable and it's horrifying and it's angering. <sighs> so then World War II happens and the way that we got into World War II and the way that America's attitude towards it was more of the preserving freedom and democracy thing. And I'm not going to get into the failures on fully responding to the horrors of what Nazi Germany did during the Holocaust, because I can't swear in this episode, <laughs> but it, it was, it was such weird messaging the way that America gets into world war two being freedom, democracy, and then turns around and does what they do to black Americans. And it's it's quite astonishing that any black people fought. Well, but we keep doing it. The same thing that uh, the Jim Crow laws were inspiration for Hitler's regime mm -hmm. on how to treat the Jews in Germany mm -hmm. and, and the nations that they were occupying. And so Hitler probably, I mean, Hitler thought that we would side with him exactly when it came to having a uh, a white dominated mm -hmm. global superpower, and mm -hmm. it's. It's really messed up how America can go to war claiming that it's for peace, prosperity, and, and justice, mm -hmm. and then not have justice at home. Yeah. And again, I'm not going to get into how messed up this war was considering, like how messed up our response was and our quote unquote reasoning was considering rescuing Holocaust victims was like the last thing on the list, essentially, for America. It, I was doing research I and I saw that. some of that and I was just like, oh, my blood's boiling. I did so, not know that. Yeah, yeah. We, uh, it, it, it was one of those things that it's similar to the way that human rights issues are discussed nowadays, where it's sometimes like the back page in the newspaper. It's not front and center of, hey, all these people are getting killed. It's buried in there a little bit. But, you know, it without getting into that, because that's not what this episode is about, I just want to kind of give a little bit of background so that you're prepared for this play. Um, I feel like we kept hoping that if America saw how much we were willing to sacrifice, that there would be a seat at the table for us. And I actually went through a little bit of that subconsciously when I was wanting to join the Air Force. Mm -hmm. Because, yes, I wanted to fly and still do, but I also wanted to prove that I was a good American, in quotes. Like, that was a big thing, and I, I think about it every so often and go, wow, it's kind of messed up that we join thinking this'll be it. This'll be the moment that I'm treated as an equal. And no, it's not. You're treated as discarded trash as soon as they're done with you. Not that it's an exact parallel, but there are parallels, um, you know, with, with when we reviewed last year uh, Allegiance yes. and how yes. the, the Japanese Americans were treated in the same, you know, mm -hmm. you're talking about, you know, fully segregated, you know, they had yeah. entirely... Japanese uh, platoons that they would send on suicide missions, yep. more or less, and they did the same thing with 
black people, mm-hmm. unfortunately. And yeah, and we'll get into a little bit of uh, black service in World War Two in this episode. Um, at at the time, it's very much the view of if I sacrifice everything, maybe this country will finally love me. Now, before I get into this next part, I like Roosevelt for the New Deal and some of the programs that were started because of it. I like what Roosevelt did for the arts and that he did have stuff set aside for uh, the black theaters and such at the time. But I don't like him for this. See, black leaders start petitioning to be allowed to be integrated into the armed forces. They want equality throughout all the branches. And because uh, at the time it was your infantry, that's it. You're not leading your own platoons. You're not allowed to have black nurses really in, uh, in the medic branches. And the war departments like, well, we'll let you into the army in proportion to the population, but you'll still be separate, and you'll be answering to white commanding officers, and we'll let in, like, 40 black nurses, or maybe it was 48. It was a really small number, and you can be chaplains and doctors, but you only get to help other black people because you're still separate from us and we suck. And also, we'll let you do the stuff that white service members don't want to do, but that's it. Sucks to be you. You still want to serve? Mm-hmm. And they were like, yes, we still want to serve, because if we do the crap jobs, if we do the stuff mm-hmm. that you don't want to do, maybe you'll see that we have value and we deserve to be treated better. Yeah. Which... And there are protests and hunger strikes and such uh, that do cause some change to happen during World War Two, And I feel like those are better covered by one Mike or Black History buff, but... Uh, there were bad conditions with this. There were cases where regiments had to get reassigned because a Southern white commanding officer plus black infantrymen equals seriously bad time. And it was a really, it was a struggle to get black men actually to be promoted as commanding officers. Um, And with all of this, this gets added into the play as well as the way that racism and the desire to be accepted by white society rolls downhill and creates its own bigotry. Because in a soldier's play, here there be colorism. Oh, yay! And a heavy helping of North versus South bigotry that we still see to this day. Because white supremacy has created a divide in our own community. When you feel threatened by something that could usurp the power structure, what do you do? You take people who you're subjugating and pit them against each other. And it's sickening, it's angering, and this show puts it all on display. It's it's a mirror right there to be like, hey, this is not good. This is bad. It's it's the whole thing of hate breeds more hate, abuse breeds more abuse. You mm-hmm. know, if, if you come from an abusive situation, you're more likely to be an abuser. Yes. When, yeah. So as soon as it's it's, and it, it in this uh, we're going to have a character who is light skinned black, hates who he is, hates that he's black so much that he's hateful towards his darker skinned subordinates, hateful to those born and raised in the South, and you find that there is only so long that you can do that. There's only so long you can push someone until they break. Uh Uh-oh. 
But back to Fuller. So, screaming pillow time is done, for the most part. Uh, I made it without screaming. You you made it without screaming. I think I might be broken. I'm sorry. Welcome to my life. (laughs) But I'm white. I shouldn't have to deal with this. You're married to a black person. Oh, that's right. (laughs) You get called traitor, like... Oh, yeah. Or white traitor, like what? Every... Race traitor, white traitor. Well, mostly race traitor. Yeah, mostly race traitor. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Back to Fuller, though. During his schooling, he was a bit more of a poet and didn't start writing plays until the 60s, where he started writing short plays for the Afro-American Theater of Philadelphia, which he also co-founded and was co-director of until 1970. Uh, Then he makes the move to New York. And someday we'll cover his early off-Broadway shows like The Perfect Party uh, and The Brownsville Raid, and I do want to cover the 1980 play Zoomin' in the Sign, that one uh, won two Obie Awards, and I want us to cover it, but we need to do it when we're in a better headspace. <laughs> oh, boy. So, so for now, we're going to just cover Soldier's Play, which opened November 20th of 1981. And this show would have some great success off-Broadway, but it didn't get to Broadway until January of 2020. Hmm. More on that. Um, in fact, Fuller had actually said before the move to Broadway, uh, back when the show was first on uh, off-Broadway, he said that he was certain that it would never be allowed on Broadway because of the last line of the show. And like I said, it was 40 years before it would make it there. And the original cast included some heavy hitters. Folks like... David Allen Greer, who returned for the Broadway revival, Denzel Washington, Samuel L. Jackson. Whoa. Yeah. I, woo. Yeah. So in an interview in 1982, and I can't find where this interview was at, um, he talks about uh, his, his playwriting and specifically this show, says, my argument is on the stage. I don't have to be angry, Okay. I get it all out right up there. There's no reason to carry this down from the stage and into the seats. And it does not mean that I am not enraged at injustice or prejudice or bigotry. It simply means that I cannot be enraged all the time. To spend one's life being angry and in the process doing nothing to change it is to me ridiculous. I could be mad all day long, but if I'm not doing a damn thing, what difference does it make? And this shows in this play which he gets a little bit of flack for, and you'll see, uh, you'll see why, because there are some things that, uh, if, if you don't think about his own background and also, um, the undercurrents underneath that do need to be exposed for everyone to see so that we can then correct it, um, it's easy to be kind of upset about some of the more divisive bits in this play, including the cause of the murder of a black sergeant by a black soldier that is investigated throughout. And um, I like what he says about why this is part of this play. He says, I grew up in a project in a neighborhood where people shot each other, where gangs fought each other, not white people, black people, where the idea of who was the best 
toughest was part of life. We have a history that's different than a lot of people, but it doesn't mean that we don't cheat on each other, kill each other, love each other, marry each other, do all that. Things that really people anywhere in the world do. And I think that that's where some of the... Because in the 60s, 70s, 80s, we're getting a lot of... There's a certain story we're trying to put forward because of how we need to appear to the white man. And we often we don't want to acknowledge the ugly side of things that every human being has. And I, I feel that some of these things are because of the way that you're taking people from all these different backgrounds and forcing them into an area together without any care for culture, without any care for background, religion, uh, anything like that, and expecting them to work it out. It's like, <laughs> it's like throwing two cats in a bathroom and expecting them to get along. I read your mind with that. <laughs> I was going to bring that up. <laughs> it's, it's like that. And so I, I do, I, I sit here and go, you know what, it is, I am so glad that this got revived so that because now I think we do need more stuff and it it's kind of my own theory too with regards to we need more black sci-fi where it's characters who happen to be black we need more because there will always be the cultural side of things because that's just our culture we 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 have a culture because we come from a diaspora we are we have had to invent ourselves as a people that's always going to be present but to have them doing things that everybody else does is important too so uh on to the original production it won several awards including the pulitzer prize for drama thus making this fuller's most well-known work but after writing plays, Fuller saw the same issues that we've talked about. The theater isn't always as accessible. And if he wants to get his stories out there, he's got to also write some films. So he starts doing TV movies, including TV adaptations of some of his plays, uh, including a soldier's play. And he talks about working on writing the screenplay in uh, this quote here that I found that I really like. What I didn't know before writing the screenplay of A Soldier's Story, which is the 1984 adaptation of A Soldier's Play, uh, was that writing for film is like riding in a bus where every traveler justifiably has a say in where the bus is going, uh, bus being the movie. Writing plays is like riding a motorcycle. You are in charge of where the play goes, and while you may have someone enjoying the trip with you, a producer or director, motorcycles can only hold a few riders. Which is... It's an interesting analogy. Yeah, it's an interesting analogy. So, Fuller is still alive, and was able to see his play finally make it to Broadway, opening January 21st, 2020, after previews that began December 27th, 2019 at the Roundabout Theater, to great acclaim and cheers in the audience at the final line of the show. Wow. And then COVID happened, and this and all other shows that were on Broadway closed on March 15th, 2020. Fingers crossed that when Broadway returns, this one will too. And you know what they could do? They could 
stream it mm -hmm. to people all over the world who mm -hmm. would love to give them money to see their production. Mm -hmm. And then send that money straight back into the folks who were involved in the production and make sure that they've got food on the table and, you know, help out all the stage crew, help all the lighting staff, the sound design staff, but that's just me. Um, anyway, do you have any questions before we go watch a soldier's play? No, I feel like you, you covered... You know, yeah, I don't I don't really have questions. Okay. I mostly have heart tears. It's okay. It'll be fine. Um, this, this is a tough play. It's not going to be the toughest we've seen. I think that still is held by Native Son. But, um, it... <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> it's not, it's not as rough as Native Son. You know, and it was, I'm sure we'll probably talk about it, but it was interesting when you were talking about the character who hates his black side mm -hmm. uh, made me think of native son with the black rat mm -hmm. yeah and this it's this is definitely more grounded in reality rather than grounded in the cerebral part of the, the brain struggle. yeah so with that being said i'm gonna have to kick this orange tabby off of my lap that joined us and then we will go and watch a soldier's play yeah, your car motor's going, huh? Hey, Warren. Hey, Kay. We have a new person joining the stage crew. Sweet! Thank you so much, Jeff, for joining our stage crew alongside Reagan and Jasmine Wu. And another special thank you to our Producer Circle sponsors, Jesse, Bianucci, and Taylor Brandt. Thank you so much for your support of our show. We truly appreciate it. My name is Country Boy from the One Mike Black History Podcast, the Black History Podcast that chronicles little-known incidents from African Americans in American history. And this clip is about the origins of Black History Month. Black History Month is the annual celebration of the study and achievements of African-Americans. And it was birthed from a time when African-Americans weren't being recognized for their central role in American history. Also known as African-American History Month, it grew out of Negro History Week, which was the brainchild of black historian Carter G. Woodson in 1915. Carter G. Woodson and prominent minister Jesse E. Moreland founded the Association for the Study of Negro Life and History. This organization was dedicated to researching and promoting the achievements of African-Americans and people of African descent. If you enjoyed this clip and you'd like to learn more, join us at OneMikeHistory.com. And now... The lights are going down and the music's starting back up, so let's head back to the second act of our show. So, what did you think of this one? I can see why when we watched the Tonys last and they were talking about a mm -hmm. uh, soldier's play, why it was getting such uh, acclaim. Mm -hmm. It is good. I have feelings yeah. about it. Mostly 
mostly I have racism feelings. I have yeah. racism feelings about it, which <laughs> it, that's that's par for the course. That's so. par for the course, and it it's one of those shows that coming from I'm going to say outsider, both just theatrical as well as white. Mm-hmm. Um, it uh, how do I phrase this? Like it hurts but in a different way because Mm -hmm. it's there are crappy white people in it, but it's not white people harming black people. Mm -hmm. It's, it's black people harming each other. Mm -hmm. And, but well, actually, no, it's, it's a kid. It's a case of crap runs downhill Mm -hmm. because the white Mm -hmm. people harming black people are then causing the harming of other black people because you get black people who are going, you make us all look bad. Mm -hmm. I have to deal with this crap because you're acting like a fool. Mm -hmm. Stuff like that. And it's just, it's another, it's another layer on the buttercream cake that is white supremacy in America. Yeah. I besmirched the glorious name of buttercream cake. I, I was trying to not be too angry about you dragging one of my favorite <laughs> cakes in the world, but... Oh, please forgive me. Uh, I will in time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I... I don't know. Like, initially I wanted to say that I don't like it, but I don't think that that's true. I do like it. I think that the things about it that were making me have feelings is just more of the I hate racism and I hate how racism has these these generational echo mm-hmm. uh, uh, waves that just yeah radiate out and they disrupt everything. They affect everything. Mm-hmm. You know, whether or not it's talked about or seen, it mm-hmm. is it is so ingrained it is so much in the background that it's impossible to it's impossible to take a step to look around without seeing something that has been affected by it mm-hmm. and so pretending like it doesn't exist pretending like systemic racism doesn't exist and stuff like that is just another just another caltrop under the foot of everybody who's had to walk this path of discrimination mm-hmm. <sighs> it's I and I want to say I I we uh, Kay and I watched a a community theater production of this and they did a good job. Uh, yeah, all these actors did a really good job. I especially liked the actor who played Captain Davenport. Mm-hmm. I do feel like when they were casting, they're like, let's get the the tallest, hunkiest guy <laughs> to play. You know the the <laughs> the hero role. You know the black hero mm-hmm. kind of thing. Because because yeah, he was he was. Very tall, very good looking, very mm-hmm. good actor. Smashed his part out of the park, absolutely. Mm-hmm. The other one who did a really good job is the racist piece of crap that I was yelling at while we were watching <laughs> this. I don't know, everybody did a good job. Okay, uh, so huh. Warren has feelings and thoughts mm-hmm. about this, and we're going to talk about it because that's what... That's what we do on Tone Deaf with Theater Nerds Guide for their Musical Challenge Spouse. A comedy show with jokes. <laughs> <laughs> and I can't make most of my jokes because this is for all ages. Which is why we tackle some of the most 
wonderful but, subject matter. But you know what? It shows that you can tackle it at any at any walk of life. You can tackle the subject matter. <sighs> okay. <laughs> so, the show opens up with Strange Fruit, which, uh... Yeah, sorry. Is, uh... Not a good sign. Mm-hmm. For those who don't know the song Strange Fruit, I have heard Kay sing it multiple times, and it's the only time that I don't like hearing Kay sing. Mm-hmm. Because uh, it hurts. Yep. It's a yep. It's a song about lynching, in case people don't know. So yeah, that's not a good sign for the opening song of this show. The song stops short of completion as a man on his knees is yelling in the dark, They still hate you! They still hate you! They still hate you! And then he gets shot to death. Mm -hmm. The scene then changes to a barracks where an officer is berating his men while another soldier is searching the barracks. The man who was shot was a sergeant, and they're trying to find out who did it. No weapon is found in the barracks, and the officer tells the soldiers some nice words about the deceased sergeant and then yells at the soldiers who, who are, uh, yells at the soldier who was bold enough to suggest that the sergeant was murdered by the KKK. Given that they're in the South and all, mm-hmm. the officer gives some or, uh, other orders as well as saying that there are no suspects at this time in the murder before dismissing the soldiers. Mm-hmm. I guess the black soldier barracks is on lockdown. There are white MPs outside with rifles and the soldiers start shooting the breeze and finding ways to kill the time, including playing cards. The soldiers are giving each other crap. One soldier was a sergeant, but he lost his bars for some reason, and he wants them back. So when the white man says jump, he'll jump. Another soldier wants the others to take the murdered sergeant's death more seriously, but the others don't seem to really care about him. Some of the men leave the room, and those who remain rearrange the barracks. The scene changes to... Captain Davenport, who was the aforementioned uh, tall, good-looking, well-acting gentleman, mm-hmm. uh, who gives the audience a recap of what has happened and how he's been sent to investigate the issue at hand. Captain Davenport does not really receive a warm welcome from the white officer, who is like, You're a black? Why are you black? <laughs> I thought you'd be white. <laughs> I want to call this investigation off, because if a black officer accuses a white person of a hate crime in the South, there will be no charges. Neat. Freedom Mm -hmm. and justice for all. Uh White officer keeps going on and on with how he doesn't like seeing black officers. He goes on and 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 on. About mm-hmm. how he doesn't like seeing black officers. He was from West Point. There were no black people at West Point. Oh, you graduated uh, 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 from Howard University. Kind of thing. How did, are you a lawyer? He's like, oh, the first time I saw a black guy was 12. And just on and on and on and on and on and on. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Exhausting. Exhausting. Sadly, something that... <laughs> It takes me back to a bus ride that I took one time to school, and this old white lady was going on and on and on and on. And it was one of those, I I can't say anything back to you. Was that the woman who told you, oh, but you're so pretty for a black. Mm-hmm. You don't have the big lips. And then proceeded to do like exagger. Oh, I... Huh. The self-control that it takes. <laughs> Which is funny, because I think you have lovely lips. Why, thank so, you. But 
Okay. I, I do have large lips, but I think large lips are pretty. Yeah. You know who else does? The white women who pay doctors to inject collagen into their lips to make them big. Mm-hmm. So I, w- I would like to speak to any young uh, uh, black people who are listening to this. Don't ever be ashamed for your natural gifts. You're beautiful and wonderful the way you are. And there are people out there who will pay medical doctors to cut open their body and inject stuff into them so that they can have features that black people are naturally born with. Mm -hmm. So don't... It it drives me nuts because those of us who are born with it and born with the darker skin get treated like garbage and then... People will, it's it's why I get mad every time that I see a white person with dreads. Fair. Every time. I'm like, hey, your hair can't do that. Yeah, your hair is not meant for that. <laughs> it reminds me of the, the thing with the guy who had dreads and they cut one of them off and inside of it was all moldy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, it works with black hair because it's really curly. Yeah, and B, like... I have I, I had years of like straightening my hair and having mm-hmm. to make it look presentable for white people to have white people trying to look like their hair was my hair and my hair is just barely getting back from having it straightened chemically. Bah! Bah! Be be proud for the things about you that are wonderful. Yes. Okay, anyway, so yes. White officers going on and 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 I wrote a lot of on and on and on and on in here. <laughs> So tired of this guy. Anyways, Captain Davenport has had enough and dismisses himself to investigate the murder of Sergeant Waters. All while Captain Whitehole is like, I'm going to do everything I can to have this investigation stopped. And uh, Captain Davenport meets Private Ellis, who gives him a couple of details about the goings-on around the army base. And Private Ellis is all happy about a black captain and tells Captain Davenport as much. I like that. He's going, it's good to see one of us mm-hmm. in, in uniform. Good to see one of us with those, yeah. It's good to see one of us with those bars and stripes. Yep. And then he gives him a big old salute. Anyways, Captain Davenport starts bringing in different soldiers to begin questioning them. The first soldier, Wilkie, gives some details about how a bunch of soldiers were baseball players together. So when they were all drafted, they all got to stay together as a team. So yeah. They got all the crap jobs and stuff, but on Saturdays, they get to whoop the white soldiers at baseball. Mm-hmm. It's revealed that Private Wilkie was Sergeant Wilkie at one point, but he got busted down to private by the said deceased sergeant for being drunk on his shift and sentenced to jail for 10 days. Mm-hmm. I mean, fair? I mean, getting busted down to sergeant, I mean, getting busted down to private from sergeant is pretty extreme. Yeah. Uh, I could see the 10 days of jail. I don't know. Even I don't know. It, it's one of those things that I'm like, you should never be drunk at work ever, mm-hmm. especially if your job involves being around explosives and yeah. munitions. Uh, but still, there probably is. Uh, yeah. The, we find out later. Yeah. So we, that, find we find out later out why it was so harsh. Yes. And Sergeant mm. Waters also berates the uh, now private Wilkie for being what the white man hates in the black man, more or less, and basically calls him a disgrace. Private Wilkie just gives Captain Davenport a glowing review of Sergeant Waters. Sure, he was tough, but he was fair. He loved his wife and kids, and he talked about them a lot. We get multiple flashbacks of the story that Wilkie is telling Davenport. Sergeant Wil- uh, Sergeant Waters gives some good advice about challenging uh, the... Uh, he says challenging this man, and he means the white man. Mm-hmm. He's talking about, we got a challenging this man in his arena. We need black doctors, senators, people of position and power to show the man 
pretend that black people are worthy. Wilkie mentions that Waters could be kind of a could be kind one moment and then cold the next. Mm-hmm. He was a wild one. Wilkie asks Davenport if Waters' body had the bars and stripes on his uniform when they found him, given that the KKK tends to remove stuff like that when they murdered black soldiers. Mm-hmm. Neat. Yep. Davenport says that he doesn't know. Wilkie also mentions that his wife didn't receive his money last week and that the finance office hasn't done anything about it. Mm-hmm. Davenport mentions that he'll mention something to Captain Whitey. <laughs> what was that captain's name? I never bothered to memorize, like, ask about. He was just he was just Captain Whitey. Because, and I will say right now, he gets better as the show goes, but I was so not liking his attitude in the very yeah, beginning that I was yeah. like, I don't even care what his name is. He's just Captain Whitey. I want to say it's Nevins. Yeah, whatever. Captain Whitey. But... <laughs> Yes. Tidy whitey. Tidy whitey. Captain Underpants. Yeah, if you put a piece of coal in his underpants, you'd crap out diamonds. Uh, Bry... Wilkie is dismissed and sends in the next soldier, a Private Peterson, who did not know Sergeant Waters very well. Turns out it's because of baseball. Peterson says that Waters ran the baseball team like a chain gang. And we get a... Oh, I will say that I... uh, uh, I assume that it's standard for this production. The way that they shoot it is it pretty much seems like the the main set is the barracks where Mm -hmm. they're doing the investigation and all that stuff. But they will do a really cool trick where they every time uh, Davenport is interviewing somebody, they will then like have a red light come down on Mm -hmm. the stage and to kind of make a, a very distinct shift in the uh, uh, mood of the scene. Mm-hmm. And every time that happens, it's a flashback. Yes. And so you'll have like Davenport and whoever he's talking to sitting at a table, you know, the two in chairs, and then that red light will come down and then all the other actors will come out and they'll be enacting the scene that uh, whoever's being investigating is talking about. Mm-hmm. And I really like that staging mechanic. Yes. I feel like especially if you have limited... Uh, space and maybe limited stage crew because this show mm-hmm. when I'm looking at it all the in- the individual components it's actually a very minimal show yes uh, which I think is cool I like seeing stuff like that because it means that it's more accessible mm-hmm. you know uh, lo- smaller budget groups can put that show together if they wanted yes because it doesn't have you know big elaborate stages and stuff like mm-hmm. that so I liked that that mechanism a way of having the past and the present uh, uh, simultaneously on stage yes and that is usually how this one is done um i think even the broadway version kept it pretty because plays you don't usually have giant elaborate sets that's usually just musicals plays can do it but you know what you're right it's it's more common with musicals yeah it's more surprising when a musical stays to one set. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Now that I'm thinking about it. It's why By Jeeves was such a surprise for me. Because it was a little, well, yeah, it was a little minimalist, but it mm-hmm. was, that was, that was entertaining. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's, okay, that is interesting. And I guess it kind of makes sense to an extent because uh, with plays, it's so much more about the dialogue and the acting mm-hmm. and the emotion being conveyed between the characters. Whereas yeah. with musicals, you have that, but then you also have got to have room to run and dance and twirl and, mm-hmm. and do all that stuff. So I guess that does make sense. Yeah. It's, you know, hey, uh, plebeian. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you're fine, baby. 
So yes, Wilkie is dismissed and sends in the next soldier, Private Peterson, uh, who did not like who did not know Sergeant Waters very well. Turns out it's because of baseball. Peterson says that Waters ran the baseball team like a chain gang. And we get a flashback of the gang talking after a game. Talking about sweet honeys that they were talking to. And uh, a soldier with uh, one leg (laughs) who lost it to a woman. (laughs) That's all I can say about that. Anyways, they talk about how they, how when they beat the white soldiers at baseball, they always try to get back at them in some way. Mm-hmm. And that might be a hurting their cause, but it's worth it just to wipe those superior smiles off their faces. I hate the men, I feel bad on that mentality too. They're like, oh, us demonstrating that we're not inferior is hurting mm-hmm. our cause of trying to show that we're not inferior to the white man. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those things of it's like, no, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta kick the can up and down the street, kind it, of thing. It's because of the whiplash effect. Yeah, it's because we... of the Yeah, it's the, you're absolutely right. It's, it's the whiplash. Yeah. Which, let's, okay, let's just take a quick moment. If there was such a thing as racial superiority, then why would anybody not white be good at anything ever? <laughs> just mm-hmm. approaching it logically. Mm-hmm. Just Okay, anyway. Yeah, yeah, <sighs> no. As, as Kay knows, I will go on multi-hour-long tangents about my correct views on the world uh (laughs) yes it's worth it wiping the smile off their faces the deceased sergeant comes in to kill all the joy and informs the men that they need to change into their working clothes and go paint the the officer's lounge the soldiers are like we why should we paint a building that we are not allowed in and waters just yells at them for being lazy good for nothings Waters also yells at the Southern Blacks, saying that it's their fault that the white man thinks all Blacks are dumb. Mm. Waters and Peterson are about to come to blows when Captain Whitey McWhiterson comes in (laughs) to congratulate the Black soldiers on being good sports ball players, and that if they keep doing good, they might get to play the Yankees in an exhibition game. Which, is that a thing? Mm -hmm. I did not know that Army... Army sports teams get to play against professional teams. I think, I, I don't was, know if they still do, but okay, that I, used to be a thing. Because I know that, like, uh, football, like Army versus Navy, like, I know that there's mm. there's inner rivalries within the yes. military in sports, but I mm-hmm. didn't think that, which actually, I that's a game that I would watch, is like, I, I'm not, you know, people listening, I'm not a huge sports fan. I mean, I, I do watch the occasional game here and there, but it's not, it's not a part of my identity. Uh, mm-hmm. But that's a game I would actually watch, is like, a, a military team versus a professional team. Mm-hmm. Um, and exhibition games aren't necessarily for anything. Well, They're it's, purely it's, for show. It's just to play yeah. kind of thing. But it's, it, it, well, it's, it's a, it's to play for bragging rights. Yeah. I mean, basically no, you know, the, I mean, people are still collecting paychecks, but it's not like for a championship yeah, or a tournament. It's not it's for just, the title. It's yes. just, hey, let's see the Yankees up against the Army. It's kind of like when sometimes there'll be rivalry games mm-hmm. where it's like outside of a season, but they're going to play a game together. Anyway. Yeah. So BYU and U of U just every day. Well, the roving street games of BYU <laughs> Cougars coming up and oh, okay, okay, you just hit on a a uh, Utah produced uh, uh, yep, West Side Story where it's BYU versus U of U. When you're a coog, you're a coog all the way from your first. Oh, we can't smoke, <laughs> but nope. we're all gonna pray. Yeah, no caffeine either. 
Anyways, Captain Whitey supersedes the soldier's orders to go paint the officer's lounge, and he makes Waters angry. Because Waters thinks that these soldiers need to work, 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 because they're a bunch of aforementioned good-for-nothings. Especially mm. Peters, because Waters tells the others to get a... Uh, to get, uh, a fighting space set up because Sergeant Waters is going to beat up Private Peterson. Peterson fights with the other soldiers over Waters' attitude and how he hates on Southern Blacks so much. Hmm. And the flashback ends. Davenport asks if the fight was ever reported, and Peterson says no, because after the fight, Waters left him alone, so Peterson just played ball. Davenport goes to talk to Captain Whitey McWhiterwhite, who shows him the request for Davenport's investigation to be terminated. Davenport kind of threatens Whitey by saying that he'll leak all the info to the black press. And Whitey is like, good luck. And Whitey gives some insight, question mark? He's okay, I guess. He doesn't seem to hate black people, but he doesn't love black people. Mm. He wants justice for Waters' murder, but uh, but knows that no conviction will happen if it's a black captain who breaks the murder case. Davenport is very sharp and ferrets out that it's two white officers who are responsible for Waters' death, and that's why Davenport can't have a hand in bringing these two to justice, because... If he accuses them, then it'll just be kind of dismissed. Uh -huh. They'll chalk it up to, oh, it's this black accusing white men of something. Mm -hmm. And, you know, yeah. Bird and Wilcox are the two suspects, and their story was that Waters was drunk and belligerent to them and disrespectful. They beat the crap out of him and one pointed a gun at him, but they say that they left him alive. Captain Davenport gets really angry at Captain Whitey for not going over the heads of his superiors to report the crime, and Whitey gives him some everyone's in on it response, and Davenport is like, I'll arrest them all! Mm -hmm. And so basically, like, Captain Whitey is like, well, I could have, you know, I couldn't go to the major because I couldn't go over the major's head to the colonel because the colonel wouldn't do anything, mm -hmm. you know, type of thing. And so Captain Whitey's response is basically, you know, I can't do anything because nobody will care. Mm -hmm. And Davenport is not having any of that. The scene changes to Davenport and his narration, recap, talking mm -hmm. to the audience about what he's doing. Back at the investigation, Davenport is questioning Private Henson, who talks about how Waters didn't like some of the others. Davenport pushes the inquiry, and Henson is like, I don't like talking to officers, even black ones. And it turns out that this drama is all about baseball. <laughs> Henson was a pitcher, and I guess last year there was a shooting over at a club off base. Henson was drunk and came back to the barracks when the violence happened, so the tangled bag of snakes is as follows. A black guy shot a white MP, and then white civilians shot two black soldiers who happened to be in the area. The black guy who shot the white MP ran and he ran onto the military base. And one of the soldiers on base, one of the black soldiers on base, shot at the white people who were chasing the black guy. So, Waters has the barracks searched and arrests one of the privates who has a gun under his bed. The sweetest person. Memphis. He's just like, he just, he's, he just, he's a nice guy and he just likes to play music. Mm -hmm. And he's the kind of guy that I'm like, you didn't enlist, you were drafted. Yeah. 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 Waters uh, still wants to arrest Memphis, even though the rest of the soldiers were like, he didn't do it. He was here the whole time. Like, mm -hmm. they're just like, there's no way he could have done this. He was here. We saw him. And, and uh, but 
Waters is just saying all sorts of oh, really, yeah. really harsh things that I can't repeat. And mm-hmm. uh, this angers Memphis, who is a sweet person, angers Memphis to the point where he punches Waters. After Waters was saying that Private Memphis, you know, matches the description and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, mm-hmm. what? What description? That he was black? You know? Yeah, exactly. That's it. That's all. That's it. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Memphis punches Waters and then... Waters has Memphis arrested mm-hmm. and taken to the stockades. Yep. After Sergeant Waters leaves, uh, Peterson talks about how they have guys like Waters in Alabama, black people who drag down other black people so that they can stand on their body and look like an obedient dog to the white man. Mm-hmm. Peterson says that he's going to the stockades to tell the MPs uh, what they know and how Memphis is innocent, and the other two soldiers go with him. The flashback ends, and Captain Davenport tells Wilkie that he wants him to go find two of the privates so he can ask them questions. Henson is dismissed, and he sends in Cobb. Private Cobb says that he, uh, he only knew Waters as well as the next soldier. Cobb was in the plan- was in the platoon before Waters took over, and that he's tight with Memphis, his best buddy, and that they played baseball together and went on picnics and were just the best of pals. Cobb talks about when he went to go see Memphis in the stockades and how terrible he looked. Cobb is... Uh, I put Cobb in here. Memphis is depressed, claustrophobic. He can't sing or play his guitar. He can't walk around his tiny cell. And he says that he will never see an animal in a cage again without feeling sad for it. Mm -hmm. Waters comes in and is like, Brah, you shouldn't hit sergeants. They found the guy who actually shot the MP and he confessed. But Memphis might get five years for punching Waters. Mm -hmm. Waters then comes in and tells Memphis. And then in this scene, it, it... kind of happens quick so Cobb comes in talks to Memphis and then he leaves and well, then it's Memphis is telling Cobb oh, yeah yeah sorry what yeah you're right Waters had said before so yeah Cobb is talking to Memphis and it confused me because Cobb steps out of the scene mm-hmm. and that's when Waters comes in but he's talking to Memphis and then Memphis is telling Cobb what Waters told him after mm. they locked him up so Waters tells Memphis that the black race can't deal with his type anymore Sergeant Waters sees Memphis as a old school black a good spirited jovial cooker and entertainer and nothing else people like memphis make other blacks look bad according to waters sergeant waters admits to memphis that he's locked up other black men in other military bases who were innocent just because he thought they made the race look bad Mm. and Cobb tells davenport that memphis began to decline quickly while in the stockades Cobb tried to talk to him about things that memphis liked but nothing worked and when Cobb came back to see Memphis, he had hung himself in his cell because he couldn't take being locked up anymore. He makes mention that uh, Memphis always liked the open spaces. He mm-hmm. liked wide open areas. Like, it sounds like he was kind of a farm boy where he came from. So yeah. he's used to living in the country and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And so putting someone like that in a cell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cobb explains that the entire platoon was so distraught over Memphis's death that the baseball team lost their last game, and the captain, Captain Whitey, was so upset with them that he broke up the team and reassigned everybody. Cobb finishes giving his accounts, and he leaves. 
Captain Whitey then comes in and is like, Wow, good job, Black Captain. You got the White Colonel to agree to your investigation of white officers suspected of black murder. Captain Whitey explains that, Yeah, he didn't know Waters well, and yeah, he doesn't know a lot of the soldiers, but he's their commanding officer, and he's responsible for them. Captain Whitey says that he has the two suspects in his office, and he leads Davenport there. Davenport does question Captain Whitey about Memphis's suicide, and Whitey is very much meh on the whole thing, mm-hmm. even when Davenport tells him that he thinks Sergeant Waters tricked Memphis into hitting him so that he could be locked up. So Captain Whitey is like, meh, blacks are not as devious as whites. Now, yeah. come, now come on, you have racists to question. Gosh. It was, that scene did kind of make me laugh a little bit because mm-hmm. uh, Captain Whitey is like, blacks aren't devious, and then Davenport kind of gives him this look, and he's like, they're less devious. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Just, which I had this thing, and I was just, it's just this weird, it's a weird kind of racism to say that somebody can't be devious mm-hmm. kind of thing. It's like, oh, they're 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 too simple to be devious mm-hmm. kind of thing. And then it's like, well, if they're too simple to be devious, then why are the, the stereotypes of, like, you can't trust them or they're going to steal? Or like, uh, just, yeah, yeah. Racism has no logic. And if you try to poke holes in it at all, it immediately comes apart. Mm -hmm. Okay. And same can be done for any prejudice. You apply the smallest amount of inspection into it and you Mm -hmm. quickly find out that it's nonsense. Mm -hmm. Okay. Man, I'm ranty in this episode. You're fine, baby. (laughs) Captain Davenport goes to question the two men and one of them is like, I don't want to answer questions from a black officer. And the more race, and he's the more racist of the two subjects, and he's getting all extra racist that he should have killed Waters, and that where he mm. comes from, they'd kill Waters and kill Davenport. Bird is the name of this one. Bird then tries to fight Davenport after Davenport starts pushing him, being like, "You killed him, didn't you? You did." Mm-hmm. And before uh, they could come to blows, Bird gets called off by Davenport. Oh, or sorry, gets called off by Captain Whitey before Davenport could beat him into the ground. <laughs> I mean, for one, I'm like, he's got like two feet on the guy. Yeah, In yeah. the real world, I'm like, hmm. <laughs> Davenport determines that these two men were not responsible for the murder, and he dismisses them, much to Captain Whitey's outrage. Mm-hmm. So this scene, actually, like, I don't know. I had, Like I said, Captain Whitey, he starts out, in the negatives, I really, really, really don't like him. Mm-hmm. And then he slowly works his way up. Mm-hmm. So I will say he gets some pretty decent character growth because yeah. he goes from being somebody that I actively despise to being somebody that I'm just kind of like, okay, mm-hmm. about. And in this scene, when he's talking about, we're going to go question Bird and Wilcox, and they go into Captain Whitey's office, and you get that initial, you know, uh, Wilcox is respectful he doesn't ever like yeah be disrespectful to davenport but will but uh bird is just belligerent yeah. and disrespectful right away kind of thing and uh if it wasn't for captain whitey being there you know he probably wouldn't have answered any questions but like, yeah. what are you gonna do black man you know because mm-hmm. he was that kind of jerk mm-hmm. uh and through over the course of the questioning, uh, it's shown Captain Whitey is backing up Captain Davenport, you know, and every time mm-hmm. someone would be belligerent, he's like, you know, answer him, da-da-da. So he's, he starts kind of bumping himself up in my, in my view mm-hmm. on that regards. But then at the end, when, uh, before Davenport dismisses the two, 
uh, uh, Captain Whitey says you're both under arrest because, and the reason for is uh, Bird for being um, insubordinate to a officer, mm-hmm. and then for Wilcox he admits to uh, uh, assaulting sergeant waters Mm -hmm. and so he's like you could have gotten them for you know insubordination and assault and davenport's like yeah but that's not murder and that's what i'm investigating yeah yeah so uh captain whitey is not pleased that davenport did not arrest the two even though they could have but not for murder and that's what davenport is after private wilkie comes in to be like hey uh the two guys you told me to go find uh we can't find them they were supposed to report for duty but uh they didn't We've got people looking for him, though. Mm-hmm. The next scene, Davenport is questioning Wilkie again. Davenport accuses Wilkie of putting the gun under Memphis's bunk. Wilkie eventually caves in under the scrutiny and admits that he did it, because Walters said he would give Wilkie his sergeant stripes back if he did it. Mm. He just wanted to make Memphis sit in jail for a bit, but then Memphis killed himself. We get a flashback to Walters talking to Wilkie about how much he hated Memphis. Memphis was such a good athlete and musician, but he was dumb and he let the white soldiers push him around and make him look bad. Waters then tells a story about being in France and how the white soldiers would tell the French girls that the blacks have tails. And the white soldiers found a black soldier to put on a tail and act like a monkey and embarrass embarrass all the other black soldiers. Waters admits that he killed that man and that his father told him that they need to kill those types of black people Mm. because they're an embarrassment to the race. Mm. Waters told Wilkie to keep an eye on Memphis and to look for an opportunity to get him. And that... That scene scene, always sticks with me. That scene is really... Especially the way that it's staged because Mm -hmm. it's Davenport interviewing Wilkie and then Mm -hmm. Wilkie's telling Davenport what... Uh, what the sergeant had told him and the way they shoot that scene is that they do you know the red light shining down to signify it's a uh, a flashback but the way that they have it sitting is they have uh, Memphis sitting in a chair just kind of playing some some, uh, mild blues on his guitar and you see the sergeant come up behind him as he's talking about we have ones you know we had ones like him where i was from you know cooking you know what is it called cornbread you know yeah uh, cornbread collard collard greens and chitlins yeah kind of thing and just talk about how much he hates that type and how they do nothing but embarrass the Mm -hmm. race and how they basically need to be purged from yeah the black yeah no it is it is one of the most messed up scenes yeah. and there are people like that there are, and that's yeah. what's terrifying yeah. i can't remember the name of the guy uh uncle ruckus no he's somebody who was in the previous administration at one point and he'd been on tv several times talking about how black people need to be yeah i know who you're talking yeah. about yeah mm. he's basically mm. telling people mm. on national tv how to get away with murdering black people yeah I, and he was mm. a black guy mm-hmm. and he, he was he was a sheriff or something i don't know oh sheriff clark yeah. yeah sheriff clark yeah sheriff clark is he sheriff clark is this mm-hmm. i would say that mm-hmm. i would say that will i would say that sergeant waters is not as bad as no, clark no but at all but clark i i i when you see that guy on TV and the way he talks about it, I'm like, you have murdered. You have absolutely murdered a mm-hmm. lot of innocent black men. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because you're basically admitting that you have on TV by telling people how to get away with it. Mm-hmm. And I'm just yeah, uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, 
no politics for the miners. Um, <laughs> I think no, I his mean, name was Sheriff Clark. No, you're right, because as soon okay. as you said it, it reminded me that that's, that's who he is. Clark, All right. Clark with an E. Yep. Okay, uh, but in this scene, too, when, when Waters is talking about being in France, and that they, and I'm sitting here kind of going, okay, so we'll, okay. So these white soldiers were trying to schmooze on the French girls and being like, oh, you don't want to be interested in the black men. They have tails because they're mm-hmm. monkeys, you know. And then so they find somebody that they can, they probably paid him, I'm sure. Yeah. They paid him to be a fool and embarrass every all the other black soldiers. And then, you know, uh, Sergeant uh, Waters kills him, talks mm-hmm. about that when he slit his throat, the man asked him what he had done. Mm-hmm. To deserve it and it's one of those and from water's perspective he's like he was so dumb he didn't even realize why mm-hmm. i was killing him mm-hmm. kind of thing and granted i can get why you'd want to beat the crap out of somebody like that yeah killing is too far yeah uh and oh god but they talk about that like they paid him to go into like this club and he was wearing a towel around him like a cape. And nothing else. Yeah, nothing else. And he had he had the t- he had the tail on, he had a cape around him, he was wearing a crown, and he was eating bananas. Mm-hmm. Kind of thing. And he was the monkey king, is mm-hmm. what they were they were they yeah. were doing. Moonshine the monkey king. Yeah. And I just uh Yeah, yeah. Stuff mm. 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 Yeah. Can't go too into it without swearing, and that would break our rule. <laughs> yes. <sighs> Back at the barracks, Wilkie is telling Davenport that none of what happened was his fault. It was all Sergeant Waters' orders. And then we hear either fireworks or gunshots. I'm not sure. They're either celebratory gunshots. They're celebratory gunshots or that, something so here, like that. So here's my issue. From what I know of the military, having friends and family who have served mm. in the military... Every bullet is accounted for, mm-hmm. so celebratory gunshots should not be a thing because people have to people have to literally report their ammunition you expenditure. Know what? I have the script on me. Oh yeah, yeah, I can see. Which is what, what which is what made me think that it was fireworks, but then at the same time, I was kind of like, why would they have? I don't know. Fireworks yeah. makes more sense, I guess. But so yeah, they they in the script we have. Suddenly, out of nowhere in the distance is the sound of gunfire, a bugle blaring, something like a cannon going off. The noise is continuous throughout the scene. Davenport rises startled. And then it leads into this next bit. Okay, Thank so... Thank you, Black Theater USA. <laughs> yeah, so it is gunshots, so that must... If, I mean, it is a show, so maybe mm. there isn't that accuracy to it. Maybe in that that might be a policy that was instituted later. I yeah. just know from talking with people that, you know, mm. you had to report ammunition. Yeah. So, anyway, then who knows? They might have been like, woo, we're excited, let loose, boys. But at the same time, mm-hmm. shooting bullets in the air is going to get somebody killed. Mm-hmm. Okay, anyways, that's neither here nor there. Uh, so, yes, Davenport is questioning Wilkie when they hear the gunshots, and soldiers come in very excitedly to announce that they're being shipped out to fight. Davenport lets them be excited for a minute before telling them to take Wilkie to the stockades. When they ask Davenport why Wilkie is under arrest, Davenport does not give them an answer. The scene changes to Private Anthony Smalls, who Davenport is questioning. So, yeah, Smalls is one of the guys that Davenport was like, hey, go find these two. Mm -hmm. I want to question them. And they're like, ah, we don't know where they went. And then he ends up being brought to the stockade by an MP because he was 
AWOL, yeah, essentially. Was, yeah. And so he he was, yeah, he was, yeah, that's the thing is they said, well, I mean, yeah, he's AWOL. They said, you know, they were supposed to show up for duty and they didn't. Mm-hmm. And so they went to go look for him. So you're in big trouble when that happens in the military. Mm-hmm. So Davenport's talking to Private Anthony Smalls and he's questioning him. Davenport questions Smalls about his whereabouts with Peterson and he accuses them of killing Waters, which it turns out they did. But Smalls says that it was Peterson who shot him and that he just watched. They said that they found Waters acting like a drunken fool. We see Peterson beat the crap out of the drunken Sergeant Waters. After Peterson beats up Waters, Sergeant Waters admits to being responsible for Memphis and that he would never have made it. He was a clown in blackface, is what he says. Mm -hmm. And then we see Peterson shoot Waters, claiming that it was justice for Memphis. Mm -hmm. Which complicated there because i'm like you have sergeant waters who admits to wrongfully imprisoning Mm -hmm. other innocent black men yeah which i'm like yeah you probably deserve to get shot for that like Mm -hmm. he admits to no less than six including memphis Mm -hmm. and the murder slitting the one oh yes yeah slitting another soldier's throat so so he's yeah he's 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 got a body count he's got his own ledger (laughs) Mm mm-hmm and yeah. what's interesting, too, is that uh, the snap snippets that we see of Drunk Waters, he's kind of having this <gasps> yes! breakdown because yes, he's yes. realized that everything that he's been doing doesn't mean a thing. Doesn't mean a thing with racist society. It doesn't. It doesn't matter. And so he has been hurting so many other people out of his own self-hatred. And it's, it's so, those are some of my favorite scenes just because of those lines, because they, as much as they hurt, they are so impactful. They're, they, they give a very painful insight and it's one of those things that's very, it doesn't apply to white people in Mm -hmm. America because you see it all the time that if a person of color does something bad and it makes it onto the news, there's this demonization of everybody in that group for it. Mm-hmm. Where if, you know, a white person is in the news for doing something heinous, it's just, wow, that person was messed up. Mm-hmm. It's not all that white lone pe- wolf. Yeah, exactly. The lone wolf narrative. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's always, oh, it's this singular person's mm-hmm. fault, never yeah. the whole. Whereas it's the exact opposite if it's mm-hmm. somebody not white who does it. And we, white privilege is being an individual. Yeah, not being lumped into a group. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's... And so I do kind of want to take a step back to a previous scene because you when you have uh, Wilcox and Bird talking about when they ran into Waters mm-hmm. and he was being drunk and belligerent, that's what he was, you know, one of the things he was saying is like, he like, I can't remember if he bumps into them or not or just comes across their past, but, yeah. but like he refused to salute and stuff like that. He's like, I'm not taking orders from any white man anymore. Mm-hmm. Like he is drunk out of his mind. He has had a come to Jesus moment, I guess yeah. is the best way to put it. He has had a revelation in his drunken, I guess it's, <laughs> it reminds me of a line from Pulp Fiction where he says, I had what alcoholics refer to as a moment of clarity. Yes. Yeah, so he had his moment of clarity, and he realized that he has sacrificed, he has done all these terrible things, he's hurt other black people, Mm -hmm. he's he's basically, in his mind, he's been cleaning up the trash within his own race, trying to, to, 
I, I guess, I guess, like, help the best float to the top mm-hmm. type of thing. And, and it's been for nothing. He yeah. still is not treated with any respect by the white officers, even though he's a sergeant. He's not treated fairly at all. He's Mm-mm. still treated like a black dog. Mm-hmm. All of that. And so yeah. he's just had it. And that's when he blows up on these two officers and they beat the crap out of him. And, and the bird, the really racist one, is getting ready to shoot him. When yeah. Wilcox pulls him off. And then they're like, no, we left him on the ground and we walked away. And that seems to be when uh, Peterson and... And Smalls, uh, Smalls showed up. come into the scene. Yeah, and uh, the thing that Waters says at one point that sticks with me, my daddy said, don't talk like this. Talk like that. Don't live here. Live there. I've killed for you. And nothing changed. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it's, it's what, yeah, it's... It's a heavy show. It's it it uh, it, it and it uh, not to make, not to make comparisons to something that is different, but there are parallels between mm-hmm. it. It's making me think a lot about allegiance when we were yes. that, because yes. you have the same thing. You have these Japanese soldiers who are trying so hard to prove, no, 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 I'm an American. I'm an American. Mm-hmm. I'm an American. I'm not Japanese. I'm an American. You know, put me in the dangerous situation. Send me on these missions. You know, I'm an American. I will shoot other Japanese people to prove that I'm an American. Yeah. That kind of stuff. And it's it's kind of the same with this. You know, it doesn't matter how much you bleed. You're still considered lesser than, you know, Mm -hmm. you're considered more expendable. Yeah. And I think about these lines, too. Again, more of Waters and his breakdown. You got to be like them. And I was. I was, but the rules are fixed. And then it's, you hear the guitar playing and just, shh, yeah. listen, it's CJ. Yeah, Memphis. I made him do it, but it didn't, it doesn't make any difference. They still hate you. They still hate you. And then. That's when he gets shot is mm-hmm. that we get the, the scene from the very beginning where he's screaming in the darkness. They still hate you. They still hate you. He's screaming to Smalls and Peterson as Peterson mm-hmm. shoots him twice. Yep. Uh, this show, that's, man. That climactic scene when, like, everything comes together that it's, yeah, just, uh. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, after Small's confession, we see Davenport talking to the audience again, explaining that Peterson was caught a week later in Alabama. Davenport says that the case was shameful. The colonel was glad that no white soldiers were involved Mm -hmm. and chalked it up to basically black-on-black crime, the kind that any officer has to face when commanding black soldiers. Yeah, and I was wrong. Nivens was the colonel. Taylor is the captain that you call Whitey. Whitey. Yeah, Captain Whitey. That doesn't matter. Captain Whitey Taylor. There's Major Whitey, Colonel Whitey, Captain Whitey. They're they're all... (laughs) They're all racist. I'll tell you what, the ones that I will call by the name are the ones who aren't racist. Okay. Uh, well, I mean, Taylor, you said? Yeah, Taylor. By the end, Captain Whitey becomes Captain Taylor. <laughs> so, but it's in the way that Davenport gives his, uh, I guess, recap of the case to the audience, mm-hmm. talking about what the colonel said and stuff like this. It was mm-hmm. the kind of thing that you would see on page three of any colored paper. Yeah. Kind of thing. God, the Cain and Abel tale. The Cain and Abel tale. Yeah, just yeah, that's, that, that's what made me say black on black was because mm-hmm. that's essentially what he's implying that mm-hmm. 
Yeah, so Davenport then gives the exposition and all the soldiers, he gives the exposition that all the soldiers that we've seen in this show were killed in action. Mm-hmm. So they were so excited. In the Valley. They were so excited to get shipped out and to to see combat, to have the opportunity to fight, mm-hmm. and they all die. Mm-hmm. Every single... That, 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 I think that part of the show hit me personally the hardest Mm -hmm. just that you get to you get to know all these soldiers through all the different flashbacks all the different interviews you get to know them more and so we have two dead officers Mm -hmm. sergeant uh waters and private memphis and then two on their way to prison yes and then everybody else dies in action Mm -hmm. and yeah, uh, they were all killed in action. We get a flashback of Davenport talking to Captain Taylor. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I was able to correct myself. <laughs> who admits that he was wrong for not thinking black officers were a good idea. And that he was wrong for not respecting Ca- Captain Davenport. Captain Davenport, or sorry, and then uh, Captain Taylor says that uh, he'll have to get used to the fact that there's going to be more black officers. And Captain Davenport is like, darn tootin'. Yeah, you better get used to it. The uh, the last lines of this show. He doesn't say darn tootin', but I'm not allowed to swear. Because uh, the last lines are, uh, you came to say goodbye to me, Captain? I was wrong, Davenport, about the bars, the uniform, about Negroes being in charge. I guess I'll have to get used to it. Oh, you'll get used to it. You can bet you're on that, Captain. You will get used to it. And that is the exchange that Charles Fuller was certain would keep it from going to Broadway. Just because of racism? That people being like, no, we'll never get used to it. Mm-hmm. Black people should never be in charge. Mm-hmm. Me, 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 me. And I can I can understand that from the 80s. I st- like the 80s, it but, seems like that should have been far enough along. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's... Uh... And, and so I can understand why he was like, oh, that's not going to fly. But now, in this time and era, it's like, Mm-hmm. You better get used to it, because it's already happened. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it's... Huh, this show... This show is a tough one, but it's it's a good one. But it's tough. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. it is. Um, It didn't hurt me personally as much as Native Son did. Mm-hmm. Um, it hurts me more in... in I guess in an empathetic way mm-hmm. because of, and then again, I'm circling back in on myself. It hurts me in an empathetic way because of the black on black aspect of it. But then again, the black on black aspect of it is a trickle down factor from the mm-hmm. overhead pitting of people against each other in yeah. order to help keep them under control. Yeah. You know, it just, it, it sucks. Uh, it's just, you can't really point to one thing and say, this is a product of white supremacy. This is a product of racism. Because the fact is that it all is. Like, mm-hmm. it all is. Mm-hmm. It's it's the foundation from which the different departments were constructed. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's the kind of thing that can never truly be corrected unless things are broken down and rebuilt from yep. scratch. Yep. And, yeah. Uh, it's, it's why I feel that shows like this are important, because they take something that so many people will use as a dog whistle or a gotcha 
about, oh, black on black crime. And it's like, but why? It's like, yeah, what is what is uh-huh, the materialist uh-huh, uh-huh. reason they for why? How did this get started? They, they don't take that argument and then go one step further. Mm-hmm. It's so mm-hmm. It's like when you see the the things with, um, okay, I this is for all ages. And what also is for all ages is Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. And if if you haven't gathered from now, Kay and I are very pro Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. So when you hear an argument where they say, well, Black Lives Matter doesn't care about black on black crime. It's like, no, they absolutely do. Mm-hmm. But what they're, you know, and that's part of it. But the whole reason that we have that systemic issue of black on black crime is because of the overhead umbrella of white supremacy that that puts people into desperate situations Mm -hmm. to where they're going to literally be fighting for survival. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you put it, it's just, it's, it's the same thing where whenever I see people say, oh, we should focus on classism and not racism as much. Racism isn't the biggest issue. It's like, actually, (laughs) it's another part of it. It's another part of it. (laughs) There isn't one solution. The whole, the whole mess is so deeply interconnected and woven into the mm. fabric of society that you literally need to tear it apart and resew it. Mm-hmm. And that's the only way that you can ensure that we really are a country of all men are created equal, all women mm-hmm. are created equal, justice for all, freedom for all. Like mm-hmm. The ideals that America claims to aspire to, America has consistently fallen short to those ideals. Absolutely. And... Uh, another tangent I'm going to get on. I get really annoyed when people say that criticism makes you non-patriotic. Mm. It's like, I know a, a patriot wants their country to be the very best that it can be. Yeah. They want their country to espouse the, to, to follow the ideals that they espouse. Mm-hmm. And right now we don't, we never have. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's all lip service. Yeah. You can't say, you know, it's, uh, it's one of those, I'm mad. And disappointed. (laughs) (laughs) I needed that. You're welcome. I didn't do the face with it, though, so we're all good. No, but it just made me laugh. Okay. But yeah. The the show is good. The show is good. Like, that's mm -hmm. the thing is, don't get me wrong. The show is good. Mm -hmm. it's, just it's a should be taught in college at least high school mm, if yeah you could teach it in your upper grades in high school there is sexual jokes in it but there's sexual humor and plays that are taught in high school anyway so mm-hmm. if you're gonna teach them teach this but that's just my point of view well it's, it's funny too you if a I, high school does hair you and I are concerned <laughs> about um the dialogue and and subject matter for younger audiences but mm-hmm. as we both know the younger generations are exposed to yeah uh harsh and very adult content very mm-hmm. very early now mm-hmm. like it's just it's hard to avoid yeah. to an extent yeah but we still try to do our part we'll keep it so that you can listen to this episode in the classroom <laughs> maybe <laughs> maybe <laughs> Depending on how cool your teacher is. Yeah, teacher. Are you a cool teacher? Yeah, you're a cool Want to teach your kids yeah. about dismantling the white supremacist overstructure? Words are hard. That could have come out cooler. <laughs> anyway, I think we've talked enough about this one. Ah, yeah. Because um, 
we do still need to get into what the next episode will be. What's the next super fun, not depressing show? I don't like that face you're making. Well, I... It... It's... <laughs> when you said super fun, not depressing, uh, that kind of ruined. <laughs> because it's going to be very depressing, because I already know the title of yeah, the show. Yeah, yeah. So the next show is going to be one of our most experimental ones that we've ever seen. And Now, when you say experimental, do you mean experimental out of all the shows we've seen or experimental for black theater? It may be out of all the shows we've seen. We have seen Hair and Tommy. Yeah, but those are experimental in more like, oh, we're not going to be... They still are beholden to the same structures as most plays. Okay. This one... I'm intrigued. ...is the first choreo poem that you get to watch. I am not familiar with half of that word you said. So choreography and poem. Oh, choreo poem. Yes. Okay, now when you broke it down, now it makes sense. Yes. So 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 a dancing poem. You'll we'll talk to it to, we'll talk about it when we do the episode. But we will be covering uh Entazake Shange's for colored girls who have considered suicide when the rainbow is enough. It's a mouthful of a title. Yes. And we're not doing the Tyler Perry one. We are not doing the 1982 one because I found out that that one is not going to be like the actual performance. We're going to be watching a community theater version of it so that you get the proper experience. Excellent. So, I want the proper experience. I yes. want what the original creator envisioned i mm-hmm. don't i that's what i want i can i can always see other versions after yeah. but i want to see what the creator is like this is my thing yes and uh we will eventually watch the 1982 one because i do have that dvd but i want you to see this version first and this will also be the first time that i have been able to see the whole thing completely because when i was in college we only covered one of the scenes And I wanted, well, it's because of the textbook we had only was able to publish that one scene and our teacher couldn't get copies of the full play. So I just meant more lame that you as a theater person have not had the opportunity to see it yet. Yeah, I haven't ever seen it performed here, which is a shame. So know what I like about that, though? That we both are going into it. Yeah. I'm going into it with a little bit more yeah, knowledge well, about well, especially it. Especially because you do the research for it. Mm-hmm. But anyway, anyway. Yeah. And I mean, the last <laughs> exposure I had to this was in college, so. There's been some time. It has been some time. So, yeah. Next week. Next week. Yes, next week. <laughs> <laughs> Days are hard when I do two episodes a week. We will be doing for colored girls who have considered suicide when the rainbow is enough. Yay. 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 Okay. Yay. It's yay. important. So yay. Yay. <laughs> all we are right. in agreement. Yay. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode. We hope you enjoyed it. Uh, even if you didn't enjoy the subject material, we hope you enjoyed our 
talking about the subject material. If you'd like to reach out to Kay and I, you can do so at our home base, which is ToneDeafMusical.com. There we have links to all of our wonderful social medias, our Twitters, our Facebooks, our Instagrams, as well as a link to the Cast Junkie Discord server, where we have our own Not Safe for Work channel that is actually pretty mild, so uh, don't let that scare you away. Uh, yeah, if you want to help out the show, uh, please... Leave a review on iTunes uh, or Apple Podcasts, whatever they're calling that purple icon now, uh, or Podchaser or Stitcher, basically wherever you can leave reviews. It really helps the show. You can say anything. You can say, give Latte a cookie. Mm -hmm. uh, you can say, hey, Kay, sing this, and then just type out a bunch of word salad that's appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> I also mentioned, if you do say, if you do mention Latte in a review, she does get a cookie. Yes. Uh, if you want to go above and beyond, you can join our Patreon and become one of our stage crew or producer circle, um, or even just a ticket holder if you want. We've got all sorts of tiers up there, and we try to get bonus episodes out. And, uh, if you want a more tangible way of supporting our show. You can get t-shirts, masks, hoodies, etc. at our tea Public store, which is linked in our website, tonedeafmusical.com. But, never mind all that, I think we need to go make some dinner. That'll be it for today. I'm Kay. I'm Warren. And this has been Tone Deaf. Deaf. <sighs> I don't think the goober has touched her food. No, she is not. She's, she's waiting for us yeah, to eat. She's waiting for mom and dad to get some